Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have another amazing guest. With me today is Derek Chin. Derek is the head of innovation and product strategy at Nerdery. Derek, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thank you. I am excited to have you on the show. We had a chance to meet last year when you came down for the IO Summit. And I've been following what's going on at the Nerdery in Minneapolis and other places that you got going on. And Figured I'd have you on the show to talk a little bit about your experience working in this innovation space. Why don't we let the audience know a little bit about who Derek Chin is and how you got involved in innovation in the first place? We did meet at the IO Summit last year. I'm looking forward to coming again this year. And it's just been amazing hearing all of the different guests you've had on this podcast and how much I've learned from them. I wanted to say I'm a huge fan and really honored to be on here. My understanding is you started as an entrepreneur. And that's where a lot of these folks in innovation kind of get started. But let's tell a little bit about your path. At my core, I'm a serial entrepreneur through and through. I think I've always been, ever since I've been a kid, you know, it's deeply rooted in my DNA. And regardless of which career path I've gone down, I've always found myself coming back to this challenge that all of us are working on, and that's how to take those innovative ideas and bring them to life. I really got my first cut at this when I was in college. And I was a part of two different startups in college, and I'm very fortunate to say that both are still in business today. That's impressive. And yeah, the, you know, the first one, I was just an intern. I was there learning from guys who had previously launched a small startup out of their dorm room, had sold it for a little bit of money, and were looking to kind of reinvest in their next big one. And they introduced me to this concept of design thinking, and it really captured me. And from what I learned that summer working with them, I then applied two years later with my own startup. And in that one, really learned a lot about bootstrapping. So my best friend and I took some of our life savings and said, let's go for it. Like, let's create our own thing. I, I think we got this. And from bootstrapping, you learn so much about how to be scrappy, how to squeeze everything you can out of every dollar, how to beg, borrow, and steal from your friends. And I think it was really foundational in kind of helping shape the core of who I am as an entrepreneur. In a way, it was like lean startup before there was lean startup, but those beliefs still hold true today. That's a fascinating point because a lot of folks that get into the innovation space, if they've never had the entrepreneurial or bootstrapping experience, oftentimes they throw more resources than they need to at solving problems than that. Having that experience of like, we can't do this. We have no money to actually do this. What can we do with a limited budget, limited time, limited resources? It does open up a different set of constraints that allows you to innovate differently. For sure. You started out as an entrepreneur. You put your life savings into your business. What happened then? I went on and ran that with my best friend for six years as we were expanding our product across the country. And the business just reached a point to where my skill set was really no longer needed. So we didn't need to invent anything. We didn't need to go big right. on anything. It really needed someone who was awesome at operations and awesome at scaling. And that was him. He grabbed an outside investor, bought me out, and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And at that moment, had considered becoming an attorney. 
not only because I was sick of paying attorneys $500 an hour to do stuff as a startup owner, but also because I've always been fascinated by the law. And this was kind of my once in a lifetime opportunity to make that a reality. And so I went to law school. And while I was in law school, I was very fortunate to get a great summer job at United Healthcare. And United Healthcare, one of the largest insurance companies in the world, wanted to use me and my background to analyze new laws and regulations that were coming out and then help inform their business units on what new businesses they could spin up. Like, let's use the law proactively to figure out where the new opportunities are. I kind of had that aha moment where I was like, wow, I can actually really combine my background and my love for innovation with this new skill set I was developing. So after you graduated, after you got the law degree, what happened from there? I was able to continue working at United Healthcare, and this time as an entrepreneur in residence. And this was back in 2013. I think United Healthcare was on the forefront of experimenting with this entrepreneur in residence concept. And the whole idea was, hey, we're spending tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars acquiring all these startups. How can we get that inside of our building and start organically growing these startups? And for me, this was my big ticket, right? This is my dream job. No longer was I going to have to suffer under the constraints of bootstrapping. I was going to work for a Fortune 15 organization that had $170 billion in revenues. And I just thought it was going to be easy, honestly. I was so excited. And I came in with all this energy and all this passion. And I was just woefully humbled by all the unique challenges <laughs> of corporate innovation. And that's not to say that the people weren't great. They were incredibly smart, incredibly talented. There's just all these new dynamics and challenges that exist inside of a corporation. And I became fascinated by it because on paper, it, it should be so easy, right? right? And I think you probably encounter this all the time. You've got a company with all the capital, all the customers, all the resources you need to be successful. But in reality, it's just not that simple to combine corporations and entrepreneurs together. Yeah, absolutely. And now you're with the nerdery. Tell us a little bit about the nerdery and how you got there and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. One quick stop that happened in between, I left to go actually do another startup. So to get back into the startup world. And this was an opportunity to do a startup at a level that I would never be able to do on my own. So the startup was called Bright Health. It was started by one of the former CEOs of United Healthcare as a completely separate entity. And it was just amazing to get a chance to work side by side with some of these veteran leaders who both came from inside of a corporation, but who had also been very successful with startups of their own outside of the corporate environment. You know, I was on the core team of the, one of the first five people in there. And we started with like a half done PowerPoint deck and within five months had raised 80 million in Series A with some of the biggest VCs in the world. And then we had eight months to actually deliver on what we promised and to launch this new health insurance company that was going to change the market. As we were going, I kept looking and saying, like, how are we actually doing this? Right. I'm looking around the room and there's like 20 people. I'm coming from a place where there were probably 150,000 people right. and we we're trying to replicate this same business. What I saw was just this really tight and awesome staffing plan. They had kind of cherry-picked the best of the best, and then they had augmented those with consultants who had deep expertise in the, the right area where they needed to be. 
at first it struck me as odd. So here we are. I mean, regardless of how much money you raise, like you're always trying to be lean. You're always right. trying to maximize your dollars. What I saw was just this incredible speed with which they allowed you to throttle. In the end, we actually did successfully launch in eight months. We went on to raise another $160 million in Series B, and the business very quickly got to a point to where they needed people to scale the operation. And it was just cool to see that transformation. Leaving there to the nerdery was my next step. I became fascinated by this consulting model and how big of a difference these key players could make in really driving an organization's growth and really accelerating it for a, a short amount of time. Hey listeners, I wanted to pause this episode to bring you a special announcement. We are bringing back the IO Summit. Yes, the third annual Inside Outside Innovation Summit is coming October 20th through the 22nd. This year's theme is talent, technology, and the future of innovation. If you are an entrepreneur, innovator, corporate leader, looking to future-proof your organization, showcase your startup, or just mix and mingle with some of the best and the brightest in the world of innovation, don't miss this immersive event, October 20th through 22nd. Check out tickets at theiosummit.com. For those of us who aren't familiar with the nerdery, talk a little bit about that company how it got started, or a little bit about companies they work with, and, and how does it actually work? Nerdery was not the original name. I think the original name was Sierra Bravo. And as someone was bringing a client around the office, they pointed to a room where all the developers were, and they said, oh, yeah, this is our nerd factory. They were like, oh, the Nerdery. And that nickname is how this company was born. So traditionally a development shop, and as digital has evolved over the past two decades, I think companies have really come to realize that, hey, what you build first is not necessarily going to be what makes it successful. These big, elaborate million-dollar builds that didn't have any budget left over to iterate or to pivot are rapidly dying off. I was brought on to Nerdery. I'm under the strategy team here to help companies who have these ambitious, innovative ideas think more like an entrepreneur and to figure out what really is a minimum viable product. This is not a lip service thing. It's not a buzzword thing, but what are we testing? What is the minimum amount of people that we really need to make this thing happen? And then when do we add people and start to really fuel this concept? Talk us through a case study or a couple of clients you might have worked with. What's it like to get thrown into another person's company or another organization and then have to iterate at speed? It's honestly been an incredible amount of fun. I think every job I have is the most fun, and <laughs> this one for sure. I think I've had the pleasure to work with probably half a dozen Fortune 500 companies. Those companies range from really digitally savvy companies like Google, where we're trying to build seamless experiences across digital ecosystems and blend those into the physical spaces that they're designing, and then all the way to very established traditional companies like Purina have been making mm -hmm. a core product like pet food for over a hundred years, but now they have these really awesome ambitions to leverage digital in this space and really reimagine the future of pet care and pet wellness. You've been on both sides of the table, so to speak, both as an entrepreneur and now as a corporate innovator. What are some of the biggest obstacles that both sides have to overcome? They're going to create something of value. The biggest pitfall that I see is in resourcing and staffing. And I saw it at United. I see it in lots of different companies. This isn't unique, but 
I see so many companies trying to build their teams first before they really know what they're doing. And so you'll get a designer and a developer and a, a backender and all with their special skill sets. And analogy I like to use is picking your Olympic team before you know what event you're going to compete in. If an idea pivots or changes, now you're trapped in with 5, 10, 20 full-time resources in your company that are no longer the best fit. And so where I've seen success is when these corporate innovation teams have a small group of dedicated people on a project, and then they will actually partner and collaborate with consultancies or agencies like us to augment those teams until they find product market fit. Because it's easy for us to swap out a developer and totally change your technology platform. It's easy for us to encounter a design challenge and be like, oh, we actually need this really awesome designer for like one week to fix this and then they can move on. It's sort of like as the confidence in the idea grows, as the success continues to grow, we see our teams ramping off and their teams ramping up. There's just been a lot of success with take things over from us and then seamlessly integrate them back into the organization. Yeah, it's almost like a team as a service model where you're kind of creating a startup <laughs> team based on what you need. It flex it up and down. Yeah, that's a great way of describing it, team as a service. I'm going to start using that. You know, our job is to kind of work ourselves out of a job, if you will. Our success is seen by clients actually getting these things through their bureaucracy and out into the market and helping them think a little bit differently in doing so. Absolutely. We talk a lot about innovation and how it comes to be. And we mentioned the team aspect just a little bit there. What are some of the key characteristics that seem to make some teams and some individuals be more effective at this innovation space than others? Any kind of nuggets that you've seen? One of the biggest traits that I look for is adaptability. I actually think you had a previous guest that talked about the adaptability quotient maybe right. a year ago or so. That has really stuck with me, and I, I feel like I notice it all the time now. When I'm trying to recruit my team and figure out who is going to be best to partner, each client is going to have a different culture. Each client is going to have an idea in a different stage. I think we all know innovation is not as simple as just following the process that was in the book that we read. Right. And so finding individuals that can adapt their expertise and their skill sets to the client's unique culture and their unique needs is essential to having success. And when you can actually make that balance work to where it doesn't feel like there's a client consultant relationship anymore, but you actually just feel like one team, that's awesome. I and mean, you can't ask for anything better than that. The last key area I wanted to talk about was this concept of what's next? What are you seeing? You've been in the space for a number of years now, and you've probably seen evolution of innovation and how product teams and folks build things. Are there any things that you're seeing from a trend perspective that get you excited or keep you up at night? Yeah. You know, what excites me is seeing the evolution of corporate financing and how they're financing these innovation projects. I think that the steering committees and other project financing committees are acting a lot more like VCs these days. Mm -hmm. where they're starting to hand out smaller chunks of money to more groups of people, and then they're looking for results. It's the department groups or innovation groups that are showing those quick wins that are then continuing to get more funding. That's a really smart way of going about doing it. 
and we're really starting to see the lines blur between how the venture capital world works and how the corporate capital world works. And I hope that that trend continues. Well, we're definitely seeing it from everybody that we're talking to. This inside-outside concept seems to be resonating with a lot of folks out there. Derek, I want to thank you very much for coming on the Inside Outside Innovation Podcast, telling us a little bit about your experiences in this world of innovation. If people want to find out more about yourself or the nerdery, what's the best way to do that? Feel free to look me up on my LinkedIn page. I believe it's backslash Derek W. Chin in the LinkedIn profile. Feel free to message me. I'm happy to connect with anybody. Excellent. Well, I look forward to continuing the conversation. And uh, thanks again for being on Inside Outside Innovation. It's been my pleasure. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.